All right. Well, I want to just begin by uh, kind of sharing with you guys a fun kind of in, uh, tradition that our church staff has. And, uh, I, you know, this has only been a year for me being on church staff. And I came to quickly see that there is kind of a culture, a tradition that whenever it's someone on, uh, someone's birthday, uh, staff member's birthday, uh, we like to gather around and have a good time and uh, have good food and have cake. And then uh, someone always pops the question and you're kind of on the hot seat uh, if it's your birthday. And the question is this, that if you were stranded on a deserted island, who are three other staff members that you would like to bring onto that island, right? And the person whose birthday, they they have to answer who those, like in that room with staff members there, have to decide who are the other three staff members that you're going to bring to that island, right? And it's kind of awkward because it feels like a popularity contest, and it feels like, man, who, who's, who's the mo- most resourceful or who, who's the most useful? And, and, and sadly enough, I haven't gotten chosen yet. I haven't made the top three yet. We've had like five, six birthdays, but, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that one day I'll get chosen. But I realize that when you're on the island, I guess you don't need a pastor, right? That's the last thing that comes to your mind. But I realize that there, there is one guy on our staff that gets chosen every single time. I don't know if you guys... Um, are already thinking about names, but there's one person that gets chosen every single time. Like, if, in my memory, I think he's chosen every single time, you know, and his name is Tim Gregor. <laughs> Tim Gregor, if you guys don't know, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm waiting for my clap to you one day. I, hopefully, I'll get chosen one day. But, but Tim gets chosen every single time. If you don't know Tim, he's our technical ministries coordinator. That's like official title. But he's kind of our IT guy. He's, he does all the live production stuff. And, and I get it because, like, if you are on an island with Tim, like, you're going to get Wi-Fi. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to get Internet somehow, right? Like, if you got Tim next to him, he's like a walking Wi-Fi. He's like a walking router, modem, whatever. I don't even know what the difference is, right? And so, so I'm like, you guys don't want me? Like, I can pray for you. I preach to you every week, you know, but, but that's, that's, not, that's not what they need. They need someone to, like, help with, you know, technical stuff, get Wi-Fi on the island. Uh, there's other people that got chosen because they can cook well or they can, they're from the south and they can hunt, right? I'm like, okay, I get it, right? And so if you're on an island, like, you're going to need help. Like, you probably don't want to be there by yourself, and the reason why I share that is because when it comes to uh, growth, spiritual change, transformation from going from where I am now to, to, to becoming more like Christ, um, you're going to need help. You can't do it by yourself. Amen? The question for you is this. When it comes to change, you know, spiritual growth, becoming more Christ, like Christ, if you were to choose the top three things that you need, who or what would you choose? Who or what would you choose? You might say, well, I probably need a Bible. That's probably a good, good one to choose, right? You probably need a Bible. Maybe in your life you want a pastor, I don't know, a, a mentor. You probably say, I, I, need, I want a small group that's going to be critical for my change. Um, I need books. I need a Bible and books, you know, to, to learn a lot, as much as I can about growth and Christ-likeness and the fruit of the Spirit, and those are good choices. You might even say, one of the top three things I need if I'm going to change is I need discipline. Amen. I need discipline or I need time because I can't do this overnight. But, but if you give me like 90 days, then maybe I can change, right? So you might, you might pick some of those, discipline, time. I, I need a Bible. I need a pastor. I definitely need a church. You know, I, I need a small group. I need a mentor and all these different things. But I wonder how many of us, when I said, what is the top three things, that who or what would you need to grow or to change I wonder how many of us actually said, I need the Holy Spirit. 
I need the Holy Spirit. Because when it comes to change, you're going to need help. See, oftentimes when, it, when we talk about even spiritual change and, and, uh, and, and allowing our inner self, our, our hearts and our thoughts and our, um, our, our motives, our intentions, our reactions, our behaviors, when it comes to this like inside-out change, oftentimes our tendency, I think by default, is that we take it upon ourselves to do all the work. We make it this kind of this uh, uh, do-it-yourself project. Have you guys ever heard of DIY? Raise your hand. All right, DIY. All right, don't be ashamed. It's okay. We just went through 12 weeks of shame series. It's okay. All right. Um, but there's a thing called do-it-yourself DIY. It's very trendy now. And, and, this, uh, and when, if it comes to like spiritual change, I feel like we take on this do-it-yourself mentality. If you give me 90 days then I can read the Bible. If you give me 90 days, I can maybe change my prayer life. If you give me 90 days, maybe I can be more loving. If you give me 90 days, I can probably be more forgiving. If you give me 90 days, I can be more selfless, right? And it's kind of like this fitness project, right? When we uh, think about people who go to the gym and exercise regularly, we, we think about people who say in the next 90 days, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go work out that, I'm going to eat less of this, I'm going to only eat that, right? And this is the same ma- mindset that some of us may have had even as we come to Christ, right? A lot of us, we've come to Christ because of the gospel, because of the good news of what Christ has done on our behalf, but for some reason, when we go to Christ, Because of what he's done on our behalf, after we've done that, we try to do for Christ out of our own strength. We say, say you know, God, I'll I'll take it from here. So so I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to go to church. Right? You ever, like, have the moment where, whether it's at a retreat or, or just have a very just deep personal experience with God, and then you just feel convicted, you feel revived in your heart, you feel like the Holy Spirit's presence is with you, and you feel like God is like calling you to, to be more like him, and yet our, our, our first reaction is to make a list of things that we have to stop doing, and then make a list of things that we have to start doing. For some reason, we come to God by grace, and then we make it all about our merit. I say, I, I can't do this now, or I gotta stop doing this, and I start doing that. And so then, change often becomes this kind of this spiritual fitness project where we just say, if I, I'm gonna just stop doing this, and I'm gonna start doing this, and give me 90 days, I just need a little bit of discipline, I just need a little bit of effort, and it becomes this do it yourself project, right? DIY. I had to look it up, like, because it's so trendy nowadays. I actually looked up to see if there's a definition. Literally, if you Google what is DIY, not do it yourself, because I know what that means. But if you Google what is DIY, this is the definition, the activity of decorating, building, and making repairs at home by oneself rather than employing a professional. So rather than getting someone who's like a pro, you're willing to do this by yourself who's not a pro, who maybe has no clue how to do it. But we're convinced that we're going to do it by ourselves. This DIY is, uh, DIY is very trendy. If you've ever gone on Instagram and uh, just hashtag, I, I just did this just to see what comes up, all right, on Instagram. Hashtag do it yourself. Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Hashtag DIY. You know how many uh, posts were there? 44.8 million. It's crazy. 
44.8 million posts where people posted a picture of something they're doing and they hashtag DIY, meaning they've done it themselves. The problem is when it comes to spiritual change, um, this is not a a, a self-do-it-yourself project. In fact, Paul If you think about one of the greatest apostles, if you think about uh, someone who who has changed without a doubt, if you you go to the scripture and say, who's one guy that, man, you, you you can clearly see that this person had a former life and an old life, and that life is, is no longer evident. That, that life is just gone. It's, it's, it's behind him, and now he lives his new life. I'm going to probably say it's Paul. That's the first name that pops up. Here's what Paul says about change and transformation from Romans 7 to 15. He says, for I do not understand my own actions. Amen by myself. You guys ever said that to yourself? Like, I don't understand why I did that. Right? I don't understand why I do what I do. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You guys ever been there? Paul says, this is the guy who wrote like more than half the New Testament. He says, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And then he goes down to verse 18. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He says, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Amen by myself. You guys ever been there? Where you ever felt this desire to do something, but no power to carry it out? You ever felt that? A desire, but no power? Like a desire to to be healthier? but no power to carry it out. Like for me, it's like, why do, I, why do I spend one hour making kale, apple, carrot juice in the morning and then doing dishes after and drinking something that doesn't even taste good only to find myself in the evening eating like two bars of ice cream, you know? Like you guys ever been there? Like why am I even doing this? Why do I even, why do I even drink kale juice, you know? If I'm gonna like, just a few hours later, if I'm gonna eat a bunch of ice cream, right? Like, sometimes I fool myself. Like, sometimes I catch myself ordering salad, eating salad. I'm like, James, don't fool yourself, man. Like, you know you're going to eat something greasy and microwavable, like, in a few hours. And you know what I mean? Like, you have this desire but no power to carry it out. Come on, somebody. Don't make me feel alone, right? You guys understand? what? Right? You ever want change? Like, I want change, but I don't have the power to do it. You know, I think one of the best places to be in life is to acknowledge that we don't have the power. But to say, but there is one who does. I think the problem is when we stay in this place where we feel like we have all the control. Or we want the control. Or we want the power. We want to we determine how long that, that, that time of discipline is going to be. We want to determine how much Bible reading I'm going to do. How much prayer I'm going to you know, commit to. You know, how much fasting I'm going to do. How, how many people I'm going to forgive. How many lost people I'm going to reach. We, we like to be in control. We want to be the one who has all the power. And at the end of the day, we just receive all the glory. But we have no power. And it's not about our glory. There's one who has power, and there's one who will receive all the glory, but it's not you, and it's not me, right? When it comes to change, when it comes to spiritual growth, this is the one thing that you cannot do it yourself. Are you with me, church? It is the one thing that you cannot do it yourself. To be made more and more 
increasingly, more and more, in the image and the likeness of Christ. You might copy his behaviors on the outside, but to change who you, who you are on the inside, your, your, your very attitude, your posture, your motives, your intentions, the, the evil desires in the, in, in the heart to have a renewed mind, a whole new way of thinking, of seeing people, seeing the world, seeing your family, how you go about your work, that is impossible for you and I to change on our own. Here's why. The flesh is too weak. And the enemy is too deceptive. And the culture is too resistant. Our flesh is too weak, our enemy is too deceptive, and our culture is too resistant. The culture says, be who you are. Does it not? Whatever that means. We've neglected Genesis when it says that you were actually made in the image of God. And God goes the long distance to renew that back to us. Who you are is actually to be made in the image of God. And to walk this life, to walk this earth, reflecting his image, reflecting his likeness, reflecting his his communicable attributes, his character. Like last week we talked about to put off the old self, which is brought on because of the fall of man, not by the will of God. And the will of God was that you would now, because of what he has done for us, being raised with Christ, now we would put off the old, old clothes that no longer fit because now Christ indwells in us through his spirit. And now he says, you have a new life. You have now clothes that actually fit who you are. These clothes are not clothes that you're trying to, you know, re, you know put on, you know, with force. It's clothes that actually fit who you are because now your position with Christ has changed. Your priorities now have changed. And now, you, now your practices will change. He says, put on this new self. And what he's saying is that you can't do this by yourself, but he's given you a helper. In John chapter 16, verse 7, it's, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go away. Uh, for if I do not go away, the helper, who is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he calls it the helper. In another uh, translation, calls it the comforter, or the counselor. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I will send the helper to you. When the spirit of truth comes, as in verse 13 now, he will guide you. He will, the Holy Spirit, the helper will guide you, will guide me for those in Christ, those who have been raised with Christ. He will guide you into all the truth. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not alone, that it's actually your desire to make me more like you, more than it is my desire to be like you. And so one of the most important things that God does in the process of growth, uh, friends, is to send us his Holy Spirit, which is also the spirit of truth, or in John 16, also the helper. He is always showing us the truth about ourselves. He examines our hearts. He shows us the truth about life, about relationships, about God, about his word, about our path. And the spirit convicts us when we are wrong, uh, teaches us when we need it, guides us when we need to see the path, and shows us how to get there. You might say, well, 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 Pastor James, like, um, doesn't the Bible say something about when we come to God um, by faith that we are saved by faith and saved by his grace. 
Doesn't it say something about the old is gone, the new has come? Doesn't it say something that we are new creations and, and we have new life? Absolutely. When we come to God in faith and to place our trust and faith in Jesus to say, I believe in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He is the only one that can forgive me of my sin. He is the only one that can actually reconcile me to the Father. He is the only one that could actually give me eternal life. And not just for one day, but even now. It gives me eternal life and abundant life and even in my own heart and where I'm at even now. Um, it's absolutely true that when that happens, in that moment, you are new. But here's the difference. Just because we are new doesn't mean we're complete. There's a difference. The Bible says we are new, but it doesn't mean we're finished. The work of the gospel is that he saves you from your past. He's saving you from your present, but he's also saving you from your future. He's he's at work in you even in this moment, Christian. Right? And so just because we're made new doesn't mean that we just sit on the couch and and like we just kind of do whatever we want. The fact that we're made new means that now we join in in the will of God and, and following the spirit of God and in terms of coming to completion. And one day, one day for the believer, there is a day when it will be completed and it will be finished. And I'm telling you, church, it will be glorious. It will be beautiful. And you know whose hands is all over that process more than yours? It's God. God who saves you to become new is the God who also saved you to complete you. And right now, you and I are under construction. We're in the works. And so just because we're made new doesn't mean we're complete, which means that we have to have a helper to be completed. We have to have a helper to change. We have to have a helper. How do I go from here to be more like Jesus? Right? And so there's several passages in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. It says that according to the riches of the glory uh, that he may grant you to be um, strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It says um, that you be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Just a few verses down in Ephesians 3.20, it says this, that now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. He's talking about the role of the Spirit in us, which is a power working in our inner being, working within us. 2 Peter 1.3.4 says, His divine power, again, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires." And so over and over again in the scriptures, it talks about the Holy Spirit that Jesus says, when I go, the Holy Spirit will come and he he won't just be with you, but he will be in you. He will be your comforter. He will be your counselor. He will be your helper guiding you through. He will be power at work in you and within you to the likeness of Christ so that you would have the fullness of Christ. All over scripture, it tells us that the Spirit works in us by 
reminding us that the Spirit is not only with us, but in us as a secure seal that we are brought from death to life. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. The Holy Spirit shows us truth and teaches us. He will counsel and help us. He will search our hearts. He will convict us and correct us. He will fill us. He will give us the ability to think differently, to speak differently, to do what we cannot do apart from a life with Him. So here's what God has given to us. God has given us his Holy Spirit. And I would add, our greatest companion for change. There is no closer and more needed companion than the Spirit of God who lives inside of us, who brings us to Jesus to be more like him. The Holy Spirit, can you imagine that? The Holy Spirit that was there in Genesis, um, the Spirit that hovered over the the waters and the earth, the the Spirit that was there in the process of forming all things into creation. The Holy Spirit that was with Jesus in 33 years of ministry on earth that kept him from a life of sin and into a life of holiness. The Holy Spirit that when Jesus died, Upon the cross, within three days, the Holy Spirit raised him back to life. Now, the Holy Spirit is obviously holy. The Holy Spirit is so different from us. Would you agree? And yet the Holy Spirit, when looking down, when God looks down on earth, says, where would my dwelling place be? Where do I send my Holy Spirit? that God would actually choose us. You know, when you, when you and I are looking for places to live, we probably went, want to live in the best place possible. But for the Holy Spirit to choose us, I don't think he chose us because it was the most comforting. Or I think the Holy Spirit chose us because of his love. His great love for us, to remind us that we are the beloved of God, that he would not choose any other for his spirit to dwell other than his people. Can you imagine that, that the Holy Spirit, if you are one who says, I believe in the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, say, he, he, is, the, he is the Lord of my life, and can you imagine just, a, just a, how radical that is, that, that God would actually send his son to live with inside of us? Does that even register with us that the, the Holy Spirit, God in all his holiness and us in all of our wretchedness would choose us to be his dwelling place, that he would move into your heart, that he would move in here, that he would take responsibility over your life and over your heart and over your image and over your character and over your behaviors, that he would not only just say, I'm going to help you every now and then, like just check in with me every once a week. He says, no, 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 I'm going to move in. I'm going to dwell with you. That means moment after moment, second after second, he does not depart from you. Amen? This helper is in you. The Old Testament showed us that the Holy Spirit was with the people, but the New Testament shows us that the Holy Spirit is in people. That Christ is in us, indwelling in us through his Spirit. 
I hope that would register for us that God, through his spirit, would move in. He would take responsibility. He would be the one to renew this new life in me. In other words, in our old self, sin was our landlord. Sin used to be our landlord. Anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody here ever lived or rented an apartment or a place, you know, whether it's in Chicago or somewhere else, but you ever lived under a a landlord or a management that just was horrible? All right? Amen by myself? Like, don't look at them, right? But but you've ever, you ever been there when you just had a horrible management, a horrible landlord, and you just like, you feel stuck and you want to be free, but they don't even let you be free? That's what it's like in our old life, where sin used to be our landlord, and everything went to the sin. Everything went to pay and to please this, this, this landlord that we used to have. But under God's rule, under his rule, we have a new management, which means we're set free and we can change. Because under this landlord, we're no longer under the rule of sin. But now we're under the will of God. And now under this management, under this landlord, Christ indwells in us through his spirit. And when we came to God in faith, God didn't choose to give you and I a better version of ourself. Here's what God did. He gave us Christ. God's replacement was not a you 2.0. God's replacement was Christ. He says, I'll give you my most precious I'll give you Jesus, and I'll give you the Holy Spirit that will help you to know Jesus, help you to see Jesus, help you to walk with Jesus, but also help you to live like Jesus. I hope as you're even hearing these words that there's something inside of you right now that's saying, Holy Spirit, that's what I want. I want to walk with Jesus, but I also want to be like Jesus. I want to be free. I want to be set free from my addictions. I want to change. I, want to, I don't want to be that kind of person anymore. And I'm telling you, you don't have to do it yourself. Amen? Because the helper is not only with you. This helper is in you. See, when we talk about change, we're not just talking about uh, adjusting our behavior, uh, being a little bit more loving, a little bit more selfless, you know, a little bit more forgiving, a little bit more patient. We're not talking about that kind of outward change or just changing things here and there. It's like just changing the furniture around or changing some of the home decor around. We're not talking about changing the fruit on the tree and just saying, let's switch out this apple for an orange. That's not what we're talking about in this series. We're talking about changing out the root. We're talking about the changing the the very nature of the tree that produces the kind of fruit that we have. And that is something you and I cannot do on our own. See, that kind of change, what we're talking about is beneath the behavior, beneath the outward expressions are the thoughts And the motives of the heart composed of the mind and the soul and the emotions and the will. When God says to love the Lord, he doesn't just say love the Lord. He says love the Lord with what? All of your your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. To be changed is to have every piece of that change. Our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. 
There's a book um, by Timothy Lane, and it's called How People Change. And I've been kind of going back to it for this sermon series. And he says this. He says that the heart is the steering wheel of every human being. He encompasses the mind, the soul, the strength, the emotions, the will. He encompasses all that under the heart. He's basically saying the heart controls all of that. The heart determines your behavior. The heart determines how you actually live and the image that you actually present uh, in the world. He says that my heart is new because Christ lives there. My heart is alive because Christ lives there. He says my heart can respond in new ways because Christ lives there. That's why we can change. And so over and over again, what we want to do in this series is to, you know what this series is called, Can We Really Change? And last week I told you, I want to save you some trouble. The answer is yes. That change is not only possible, but for those in Christ, change is a reality. As Christ lives in you, you have a new nature. You have a new heart. You have new thoughts. And so what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is to say that there used to be this life that is led by the flesh. And Romans 8, what Paul is doing here is, I'm just, gonna, I'm just summarizing here today for us, is that what Paul is saying is that you used to walk in the ways of the flesh and your mind was on the things of the flesh, which is basically a way to say you're, you, you were worldly. You just, you just uh, only did what you wanted to do, what your sinful nature desired and craved, and you didn't even have the language for that, but now you can see that that was sinful. Now you can see that that was just worldly. Now you can see that was contrary and in opposition to what the will of God is. And he's saying, now, now that you're in Christ, and, and he, when after after he talks about, uh, you know, what I want to do, I don't know how to do it, what I don't want to do, I keep doing. What Paul does is he speaks the gospel over himself. In Romans 8, 1, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he begins to say why. He says, because now we have this new nature given to us by the Holy Spirit, and we have this new life in the Spirit that is our helper and guiding us. And he says, he says that if you have the Holy Spirit, then it's a, it's a secure um, seal that you now belong to him and he dwells in you someone once asked me and said then pastor james is is spiritual change is change our work or god's work if if what you're saying is that the Holy Spirit is our helper and he's leading us and guiding us and he's transforming us, that the spiritual change is not our do-it-yourself project. The question is then, is change our work or God's work? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Is spiritual change our work or God's work? The answer is yes. To let the Spirit of God change us and grow us does not mean that we bail out on our responsibility in it. It doesn't mean, you know, let go and let God. It doesn't mean that we just sit on the couch and just God magically just says in one day you're going to just become perfect and become like him. That's not how it works. God is too loving to do that. He says, join me. Walk with me. Fellowship with me. Dine with me. Talk to me. What he's saying is that he wants relationship. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you to sit on a couch and just he, just, he doesn't want, like he could do that. But he says the loving thing to do is for you to join with me in that process. For you to follow me. He says I'm giving you everything you ever need. It's the Holy Spirit. You have the greatest companion for change and it's his spirit. 
And so, um, so spiritual change is, is both, yes, God's work and our work. Dr. Henry Cloud, this is another book I would encourage you guys to read if you want to further uh, look into this, but he, he wrote a book called How People Grow. This is what he says. He says, life in the spirit means that we do not do growth without him. It also means that he does not do growth without us. The miracle of the Holy Spirit's invasion of our lives is that he is at work within us to change us and to lead us and to guide us, but there is still an us. That's good. He's saying there's still in us, right? See, we can't explain how the Holy Spirit works. There, in, in other words, in terms of spiritual change, I can't give you a formula. I, I can't tell you this week, guys, here's what you need to do with the Holy Spirit. Here's A plus B equals C, and that's how change happens. I can't give you a formula, but here's what I can do. Is I can suggest a posture. See, with the Holy Spirit, there is no formula for how he works because he's not a thing. He's not a mathematical problem. He's not a, he's not a formula. He's a person, he walks with you. And so for us, what we, what we need to learn today is that with the Holy Spirit, there's no formula, but there is a posture that we have. And if the Holy Spirit is our helper, then what would our posture be? To me, it just makes sense that then my posture, if he's the helper, then my posture is, Lord, help me. And when it comes to spiritual change, I wonder if that's where we begin. Lord, help me. I would suggest it's not only where we begin, it's where we should end. Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. And God, I'm telling you, God in us is not going to be like, when will you stop asking me for help? God is not bothered by that. In fact, that's why he actually is in us, because he wants to help. He's saying, I'll take the lead, which means our posture is we follow. See, if, if the Holy Spirit is our helper, then, then we must, we must continually, moment by moment, week by week, day by day, maybe even second by second, when it comes to our hearts, or when it comes to our thoughts, when it comes to our responses to people, when it comes to our behavior, when it comes to our addictions, when it comes to our old habits, moment by moment, our posture ought to be, the Holy Spirit is in me, and help me. Help me. I think that's what it means to be in step with the Spirit. You know, some of us, we only look at the the, the chapter of the gospel that says that we are saved. But the whole of the gospel is not just that we are eternally saved. The whole of the gospel is that, that, that it declares that we're not just uh, saved from an old life, we are saved into a new life, which means that we are not just eternally saved. It means that we ought to be in step. And the question for us, church, is this. Well, first is this, are we saved? And if the answer is yes, the second question is, then are we in step? So much of us, we just dwell on the place of, are we saved? Yes. And we think, well then, don't I just sit on the couch and just God will just transform me after some time? Nope. See, if we are saved, the question is, are we in step? Here's what Galatians 
5 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, our part is to be in step. Our part is not to lead the way. Our part is not to pioneer this project of transformation, amen? Our part is not to tell the Holy Spirit what to do for us. Our part is just to follow. It's just to acknowledge that he's leading the way. He's pioneering. He's he's examining when I'm not even examining. He's looking into my heart and my thoughts. He's exposing. He's revealing. He's bringing me to Jesus. And our part is simply to be in step with his spirit, moment by moment, say, Holy Spirit, I do not want to depart to the left or right of your will, but help me to follow you step by step, moment by moment, walking in the awareness that the spirit of God lives in me, there for me to rely on him, to depend on him, to seek him, to be filled with him, so that when circumstances arise where I would normally act in my old way, we can now respond to the spirit that leads us in his way. So one thing I I don't want us to hear today is that, is that, um, is that when it comes to change, like, God just does all the work and we just kind of watch him do it. That's not what I'm saying. Also, on the other extreme, what I'm not saying is is that change is just all our work and we just kind of ask God to help us every now and then. That's not what I'm saying. See, we we think that the gospel is that God just saves us and, you know, and then somehow magically we're gonna become more like him. We think that the gospel is actually opposed to any kind of effort, but that's not true. The gospel is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. You can't earn your change, amen? That's the good news. Like, there was nothing we did to deserve this beautiful life that looks like Jesus. That's the gospel. The good news that we were depraved, we were in our wretchedness, we were in our sin, we were in death. There was nothing we did in our own strength to say, God, can I have this kind of life? There's nothing we did in our own, there's nothing we did to earn this transformation. That's the good news of the gospel. But the gospel is not opposed to effort. This is what, this is actually from Dallas Willard. He said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And so when it comes to change, there is our effort, and here's our effort. It's just to simply yield to the Spirit, simply to surrender to the Spirit, to listen to the Spirit, to obey the Spirit, not to resist the Spirit. So one of the applications for us today, church, as I kind of come to an end, is for us to see that, man, when it comes to change, man, this is God's will more than it is mine. And God has given me the greatest companion, the Holy Spirit. And God is not just with me on a Sunday, one one hour a week, but God is in me every single day, every moment, every second. And he's helping me, and he's wooing me, and he's forming me, and his hands are all over me. And my job is simple, just don't resist yield listen in that moment that next moment maybe even this week when you when you're tempted to go back to your old life when you're in a circumstance that made you so angry and you would act out in a way that represented your old life in that moment stop and say christ has set me free i'm not bound to that anymore enemy is no longer my landlord Christ lives in me and in that moment for that split second tell yourself the Holy Spirit dwells in me 
And would you in that moment say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. How would you respond in this way? Or how would you respond in this situation? Even in this moment, Lord, help me to be like Jesus. That song is so fitting. I'd even request that to the praise team, but that song, Lord, I need you. Amen? This week, when it comes to change, would you make that your prayer? Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I want to end with this particular quote by J.C. Ryle. It's actually quoted in that book, uh, How People Change by Timothy Lane. He captures the uh, active reliance upon Christ that is necessary for our uh, sanctification. He says that holiness begins with Christ and we must first belong to him. He says this. He says, would you be holy? Would you become a new creature? Then you must begin with Christ. You will do nothing at all and make no progress till you feel your sin and weakness and flee to him. He is the root and beginning of all holiness, and the way to be holy is to come to him by faith and be joined to him. He says, men sometimes try to make themselves holy, first of all, and sad work they make of it. They toil and labor and turn over new leaves and make many changes, and yet, like the woman with the issue of blood before she came to Christ, they feel nothing better but rather worse. They run in vain, they labor in vain. And little wonder, for they are beginning at the wrong end. He says, do you want to attain holiness? Do you feel this day a real hearty desire to be holy? Would you be a partaker of the divine nature? He says, then go to Christ. Wait for nothing. Wait for nobody. Linger not. Think not to make yourself ready. Go and say to him in the words of the beautiful hymn, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked. Flee to thee for dress, helpless, look to thee for grace. There is not a brick nor a stone laid in the work of our sanctification till we go to Christ. You know, um, this is going to come off kind of cheesy, but I'm going to say it anyway. I mentioned that when it comes to change, we like to DIY, do it yourself. And after reading Romans 8, this passage over and over again, you know what I realized is that there is another DIY, but it's not do it yourself. It says that the Holy Spirit dwells in you. That was like 10 hours of prayer, and I'm like, wow, a new DIY for the church. When it comes to change, don't do it yourself because the Spirit of God, DIY, dwells in you. This is what it says, Romans 8. You, verse 9, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God, (laughs) DIY. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit, of, uh, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, D-I-Y, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. And so be encouraged. The change more than our desire It's God's desire, and it's God's help, and it's his glory. Uh, Would you bow with me in prayer?